Welcome to Alive, a Vineyard College ministry with the purpose to awaken students to their true relationship, identity, and destiny in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoy this message today. And if you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Facebook at Alive Vineyard College Family or Instagram at Alive Vineyard College. Like I was saying, thank you guys so much for coming out. You've sacrificed so much of your time, resources, and even your partying on a Friday night. Give yourself a round of applause for that. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, before we move on, I actually want to take the time to say thank you to Clay Harrington, your pastor. Can we give him a round of applause really quick? Seriously, guys, you guys have the best pastor And I know this for a fact because he was my landlord for a couple of months. Me and Brandon lived in his basement (laughs) for three months. And just just as intense as he is here, he's like that at home. (laughs) He is a man of integrity, a man of God. I mean, seriously, like he's a loving, loving husband loving father and yeah we just want to thank you so much clay for inviting us you're amazing seriously Mm -hmm. yeah you so good he has poured so much into me and brandon's life Mm -hmm. and like he is legitimately the real deal yep and if you ever take a shower at his house close the shower curtain that's just a little tip uh Yeah, because he's he Cause, he uh, is very disciplined man. Yes, you're meaning, our, you're meaning army don't leave it open um, when you're done. Yes, when right. you're done. When you're done. <laughs> when you're done. <laughs> when you're done. <laughs> the door should be open. I mean, Look, I mean, closed <laughs> anyway, like and locked. Uh, so, what you? I mean, I don't know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> Weird. It's going to be a good night, I can already tell. A little bit about us real quick. Um, So I am from the north suburbs of Chicago. Is anybody here from the north suburbs of Chicago? Oh, wow, Miranda. Yeah, I knew that. Got one right there, too. (laughs) Yeah, well, anybody from the south suburbs? Hey, okay. Okay. (laughs) We here. That's awesome. But anywho, so we have been married. We come from two complete opposite worlds, and we've been married for five years. But we met 10 years. This is like our 10-year dating anniversary. We started dating in October 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we have two kids. Um, That is, well, I don't know if you guys have a picture. Um, Zoe is our oldest. She is three years old, and Levi will be one in January. Shout out to all my babysitters here. It's like 10 of you guys here. I appreciate that so much. Love y'all. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, so we met in college, and we've been together ever since. It's been a crazy ride. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, so 
I want to, if you have your Bibles or you have a Bible app, let's go ahead and um, let's open our Bibles. Let's dive in. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can, you can pull out that as well. We're going we're gonna to read a little bit because I just believe that the Bible preaches by itself. And um, we're going we're gonna to read some scripture and we're going to see what God has for us. Um, as I walked in, I just felt that there is, a, a, kind of as Clay mentioned, there is something unique that's here tonight. Like, there, there, there is a unique thing happening tonight. So I feel like if you guys lean into that, uh, if you lean into to what you hear, what you sense the Lord saying to you, what he is inviting you into, I believe something, uh, something powerful is going to shift in your life. So go with me to John 8, verse 10. John 8, verse 10. And I'm reading out of the Passion Translation and it says this, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. Now, this is the very end of a, a very famous story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This is the very end of a story called The Adulterous Woman. And uh, I believe that this story has some powerful um, um, truths for us to unpack tonight. So we're going to unpack this story. The title of this talk is Pride, Pain, and the Presence. So let's pray, and we are going to dive in. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence. We value your presence. There is nothing more valuable than your presence. And Lord, this is all pointless if you are not here. So we just ask for even more of you tonight. Would you come? Would you show up? Would you show us your power? Would you show us your glory? Would you show us your freedom? Would you have your way in our lives? We pray for open ears, open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, uh, a little bit more. <laughs> I can see clearly now. It's, a, it's an old Christian song. Uh, anyway, that's a good segue, actually. So a little bit more about me. I, um, I, I'm originally from the south suburbs of Chicago. I, I got some south, so yeah, we out here. We heavy, it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm from the south suburbs of Chicago. I grew up in a, in a very um, awesome home. Like I had, I, you know, my, both my parents, they're, they're together. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. I have two younger brothers. Um, I'm the oldest and most handsome, and um, it was just a great, it was a great time. But one of the biggest uh, themes of my life was church. Like I, I lived at church. I, um, I like there were things that I, I, I was exposed to as an adult that I didn't even know like was a thing. So I didn't realize that people didn't spend New Year's Eve like not at church. Like I just, I didn't know that people didn't like spend Halloween either at home with the lights off uh, in the dark or at church. Like these are just some things that I just, 
I just didn't know that because I was like in church my entire life. And when you're in church your entire life, like I was, what, what started to creep into my life and what started to creep into my heart was the sense of pride. Like the sense of like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of better than this person because I, I kind of, I know the truth. You know, you don't, you know, or just that little, you know, that sense of like, uh, um, like I'm better than you and, and, and religiosity started to creep into my life. And what I'd started to do as a result of that is I started to rebel against religion because I was like, I can't live up to this standard. Mm-hmm. I can't really do this. So I started to live this double life. So in church, I was one Brandon, and outside of church, I was another Brandon. I was basically a secret agent. I should have got paid for it because I did it so well. Like, my church friends had no idea uh, just about the, you know, the things that I was involved in and the things that I was doing outside of church. Just living this double life. I did that for many, many, many years, and it was just me searching and looking for who and what does it mean to be Brandon. So I lived this for years, and then I go away to Champaign-Urbana. And um, town I've never heard of, didn't even know it existed. Um, I knew, like, saw saw it on the map, right, the area. And I just, I didn't know. Um, But I had some cousins that came to U of I, and they, you know, said, hey, you should go, go down here. Go to Parkland. I started at Parkland, went there, and I didn't have to hide anymore. I didn't have to live the double life anymore because all of my people, they were two hours away. So I was able to do anything and everything that I wanted. So I just went crazy uh, for a while. And in the middle of that, I meet this young lady. (laughs) Like, uh, it it, it was awesome. We met in biology class um, because we had a lot of chemistry. Yes, yes. Dang, I'm like, yeah. You can steal that. You can steal. Anyway, yeah. it works every time. I mean, some of you guys have heard that for like five years, and <laughs> it still works. Yeah, well, I grew up completely different. I did not have a Christian background. My family actually was super intellectual. Um, they really valued education. So... I, my parents were divorced growing up, and I lived through a lot, a lot of pain because of it. So all throughout high school, I would party, I would drink a lot, I lost my virginity at a very young age, so it led me to live uh, a boundaryless life. Um, and so I just grew up uh, doing a lot of bad choices. And one day, um, my family being the intellectual people that they are. I have like two uncles who are actual, actuarial scientists. They start showing me the statistics of where my, my life was heading and they said, you need to get out, you need to get your education, you will be just a disgrace to our family if you don't continue the legacy. So I'm like, okay, that's fine, I'll go to school. They send me to Champaign-Urbana and behold, it is a party school. So I fit right in. I mean, like, I am so comfortable here. I love it. And I have not, well, we left for a year, but I haven't left since. Um, but anyway, growing up in that fatherless home, again, had me do a lot of bad choices. But then 
I get invited by a soccer player to come to the college ministry at the Vineyard Church in Urbana. And back then, it was not called Alive. It was called God Search. And my college pastor will be preaching to you tomorrow morning. His name is Daniel Goulet. And it changed my life going there. Um, that was the first time I met Jesus. I didn't know anything about Christianity. I didn't know anything about God. I walked in a room uh, full of college students like y'all praising and worshiping. And I was like, this is so weird. Get me out of here. I'm running out of the door. But something intrigued me so much, and I decided to stay. My life started to change a little bit, and then I met Brandon as well at Parkland. So, yeah. What you will notice in these, in these two, two stories is this theme of pride, this theme of pain. And whether we, we know it or not, like consciously or subconsciously, our, our identities are often shaped by either pride or pain. And pride, it, 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 it says, well, I, I'm, not, I'm, you know, I'm a better Christian than them because I don't do this. Uh, you, know, you know a girl? She, need, she really needs Jesus. You know, that, that, that's pride. And, and it, it, it kind of comes out in this, in this comparison sort of thing where I'm measuring myself and my self-worth off of how I feel and look compared to you. And I feel like uh, this is something that is so easy for many, uh, many of us to kind of subconsciously fall into kind of as I was getting at in the beginning of my story. And then there is the other aspect where, you know, maybe, maybe you've experienced some like traumatic situations in your life. Maybe you have been rejected by people who should have received you, should have loved you, should have honored you. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe you have experienced moments that have caused pain to enter into your story. And the problem with both pride and pain is that it affects the way that we see ourselves. It actually becomes pride and pain. They both become this filter through which we see ourselves through, and it doesn't allow us to see who God has really created us to be. And when we can't really see who God has created us to be, when that becomes a barrier in our lives, our lives begin to feel directionless. Like it begins to feel like, well, there's nothing happening in my life. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. And this is often the result of pain or pride in our lives. If we go back to the story that we are, are kind of digging into in John 8, I want to I kind of unpack the story a little bit because we see these two, uh, in, uh, these two things in operation. Let's read verse 1. It says, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near, near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon the people gathered around him to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery. 
and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't the law of Moses command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? So Jesus, he's, he's teaching the people. He, he's basically in the temple. He's at church. He's having church. People are gathered around him. They're learning. They're, they're, they're like uh, starting to unpack. Okay, this is what the kingdom means. This is, this is who I am. This is what I am called to do. They are digging into who Jesus and, and who the Father has called them to be. And then in the middle of that, you know, doom, the doors are kicked open. And the Pharisees bring in a woman who, who knows? Maybe she's wearing like a sheet, a blanket. We don't know what, what, what this scene looks like. I imagine it's very chaotic. It's, it's a lot going on. They bring this woman in the middle of Jesus' teaching, and they throw her down in the middle, and they say, hey, Jesus, what do you say about this? But I want you to notice that this is pride in the religious spirit at work. See, one of, one of the signs of pride in the religious spirits is that it is often disruptive to the work of Jesus in other people's lives. It is often disruptive to the work of Jesus in, the other, people, in, in other people's lives. See, the Pharisees was like, ah, Jesus, you don't got to teach them right now. Forget that. Hey, let's, let, let's judge. Let's condemn. Let's, let's actually throw some stones. That's more important right now. Let's, let's do this right now. See, and this is, even, this is even more true when we are people who represent God. Like, when we are uh, people who represent God and, and we are operating in pride, it will affect other people's lives. It has a greater effect on other people's lives. So going back to our story. So uh, eventually, I like get some sense knocked into me. And I'm like, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. Like, I, I, can't, I can't live this way anymore. It's not, it's not fruitful. It's not, it's not healthy. I have this uh, traumatic death in my family that was like this massive wake-up call for me of like, oh, snap. Life is real life ends randomly. I need to like do something with mine. I felt like mine wasn't, I wasn't doing anything right. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I need you. So I begin to pursue Jesus again. But the way that I pursue Jesus is I'm like, okay, I know all of the things that I need to do because I've seen it my whole life. So I was defining what it meant to be a Christian by the things that I wasn't doing. So, okay, I, I, I'm not, I'm not smoking weed anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, like party the way that I was partying before. I'm, I'm not going to uh, do this with girls anymore. Okay, uh, that makes me a good person. That makes me a Christian. And at the same time, Sharon is pursuing Jesus. She's being like, you know, like exposed to who Jesus is. And she's leaning in. She's asking a ton of questions. And I was so condemning. I, like I, I was terrible I would like judge her. I would, I would basically be like, oh, you're not, you're not doing it right. You got to do faith like this. Mm. No, you shouldn't do it that way. I, I literally thought that I was the better Christian because I had done it my whole life. Because I had seen it done one way my whole life, I thought that it was the way. And I was imposing that on her. I, I, I thought that I knew everything and she knew nothing. I would literally say stuff like, I would do this, like I'm dead serious. 
share it. Well, once you've been a Christian a little longer, it'll make sense. I'm, de- I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I would literally say things like this to her. See, pride blinds you to your own sin, and it only allows you to see the sins of other people. You are blinded to your own sins. You cannot see them. You can only see the sins of others. And this is where I was. Yes. And actually, all of the pride pretty much just pushed me away from Jesus. Because by this time, I had transferred to the University of Illinois. I had a lot on my plate. I was trying to impress professors. I was trying to impress the students around me. I was trying to work at the same time. And Brandon would say these little comments about, you know, like in the church. And I'm like, I can't be that. Like, I didn't grow up in this. I don't know what this is. This is not, at the time, this is how I was thinking. This is not me. I don't know how to act like you all. Like, I'm just trying to get free from my pain. That's not, I I don't know what else to do. And it just, at that point, was like, well, you know what? I'm not good enough. I'm going to just go ahead and continue going out with my friends who actually do accept me and don't, or at the time, that's how I thought. They don't care. They just, you know, handed me a drink, and I'm taking it. So that's what I thought was real at the time. So I want to ask you, who in your life, whose relationship with the Lord, whose whose pursuit of Jesus, whose work, like Jesus' work, who, who, who could you possibly be disturbing? So you can't stop the work of Jesus in somebody's life. You, you're not going to stop what Jesus is doing in somebody's life. You can sure, though, you, you can disturb it. You can, you can make it more difficult. I want you to ask yourself, okay, who, who, who could I be looking at with this sort of heart posture of I am better, I do it better, I got the answers, you don't, because it is ultimately disruptive. So if we go back to our story, if we go back to our story in John 8, a little more background, right? You know, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they hated Jesus. They absolutely hated him. He got under their skin so much. They hated Jesus because Jesus didn't care anything about their law, so they thought. Like, Jesus didn't have the same priorities as they had. They hated Jesus because he hung around poor people and prostitutes and sinners, and and he hung around all these people that they deemed as unholy and unworthy of God. And they're like, you can't be a teacher of the law and hang around people like this. They hated Jesus because Jesus claimed to be the savior of the world. They thought he was crazy. They hated Jesus because people followed Jesus. Crowds followed Jesus, which is a a, a principle. See, like the Pharisees had no followers. Jesus had all the followers. If it was Instagram, they would have like, "Ah, your ratio is a little off, bro. You know, (laughs) Jesus is verified, though. Like, where, where you at? You know, that's what it would be. See, people love Jesus. Couldn't, they couldn't get down with the religious folks of the day. So the religious leaders are like, all right, yo, what, we have to do something about this guy because he is disrupting our, like, neat, orderly way of relating to God. 
He is, he is undercutting our influence and our leadership, and, and people are following him. They're not following, up. We, uh, following us. We got to do something about it. What are we going to do? So I imagine they had a little meeting. They sat down, and somebody was like, hey, I got a great idea. Um, why don't we trip him up with, you know, catch him saying something he shouldn't say with one of the tax collectors and sinners, you know, the people he has a soft spot for. And they're like, cool, that's a great idea. So this is a setup that we're reading. The Pharisees, they thought, okay, we can catch him saying something, doing something that he shouldn't be doing, and we can condemn him, and he will be out of our hair. But I want to read what happens next. Let's read verse 7. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood back up and looked at them and said, let uh, let's have the man who has never had a sinful, sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent down or bent over and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. Until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she said, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. So Jesus, he, he's, he's being pressed. I don't know what he was writing in the sand. He's, might, he's probably saying, y'all are annoying. Um, <laughs> get back. You don't know me like that. I don't know what he was writing. But it doesn't matter. Jesus is, you know, he, he, he's just trying to teach the people. He's trying to love the people. And they're, they're like, hey, what are you, Jesus, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? And he, he, he stands up and he says, okay, cool. Uh, you want a stoner? The person who's never had a sinful desire, go ahead, you throw the first stone. And he just probably sits, sits back like, oh, okay, that's what I thought. You know, <laughs> and then they begin to, to, to walk away. They, 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 they're like, oh, we, we really can't do anything. Everybody who judged this woman, everybody who laughed at this woman, everyone who thought that they were better than this woman, they realized in that moment that, oh, I'm actually not different. What happened? Well, Jesus, he puts our accusers to shame. He puts the accuser to shame. I actually felt like tonight the father was saying that there are some people in this room, you have been listening to the voice of the accuser. You have been listening to the voices around you that tell you you aren't good enough, that tell you you'll never be enough, that tell you your, your, your past mistakes will define your future successes. And the father is saying, silence like, he's silencing these voices in your life because they are not the truth. He fights our battles for us. He fights them for us, and he is fighting your battle. He's releasing truth, and he is silencing the voice of the enemy. But something we must remember is that when, when we are allowing pride to shape our identity, we are most likely to sound like the voice of shame and condemnation rather than hope and redemption. We are most likely to sound like the voice of shame and condemnation in someone else's life if we are allowing pride to shape our identity. But I want to I I talk about pain. 
That's the pride side, right? That's, that's the Pharisees in this story. I want to I talk about the pain side of things. See, pride is sin, period. It just is. Pride is sin. Pain is not sin, but pain can cause sin. So pain is not sin, but it can cause sin. So I guess the question I want to ask then is that, is it possible that this woman who was caught in an act of sin was actually a woman who was filled with pain? Is, is that possible, that maybe this woman was actually someone who was filled with pain and she didn't know how to actually heal and grow past that? Right. And just like pride can shape our identity, so can pain. Um, our choices and our actions oftentimes are just an expression of what's inside of us coming out. So... Like I mentioned earlier, I grew up completely differently and I had made a lot of bad choices. Um, but all of the drinking that I did, all of the bad partying that I did, all of the unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships that I was in was just really the way I was feeling inside. And soon everything was just coming out because when we don't deal with our pain, it comes out in the way of sin. It's going to come out. You're going to get exposed. But it's just going to be in a way that you don't like it to be. And honestly, guys, the sin that was in my life, like, I, have, I feel like a lot of you may look and um, feel like God is saying, oh, you know, that's bad, that's sin. And he does, but only because it's not his best plan for our life. It's because he has greater plans and he's looking at you. I have a three-year-old daughter, and sometimes when she makes certain choices, I'm like, man, it's really unsafe for you to be walking backwards right now. Like, you probably shouldn't do it, especially because you barely know how to walk. And as soon as she takes a tumble, I'm like, I told you, like, it, and I don't feel like God is necessarily saying that, but it's not the best plan, you know? So when we are stuck in a life of pain, it's prone to be in a cycle of sin, mm. just like the adulterous woman. Mm. That's good. So Jesus, right, if we go back to our text, what does he do? He puts the accusers to shame. They walk away. And then this woman, this woman who is in this painful situation, chaotic situation, she's, she's freaking out because she thinks she's about to die. I'm sure, like, I, I kind of picture her. She's, like, on the ground. She has her head down. She hasn't even noticed, probably, that everybody has walked away. Like, everybody's gone because Jesus just, like, shut that down. And, 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 and I imagine this woman is like just waiting on the first stone to be thrown at her. She knows that her life is over. Have you ever thought about being stoned to death? Like, let's, let's take three seconds and think about what that would be like for a second. That sounds horrible. Like, I mean, is, that sounds like a horrible death. And this is what this woman is thinking about. 
that this is how it ends. My life ends this way. But it was in that moment. She's thinking about all this. She's pondering this. She hears a voice. She hears a voice, and this voice says, dear woman or daughter, where are they? And then this woman, she, she looks up, and she looks around, and she doesn't see anybody. She just sees Jesus, and it doesn't tell us in the text that she knows who Jesus is. She looks into his eyes, and she's like, they're gone, Lord. And this word Lord in this, in this context, she, she, she's actually saying Lord Yahweh. So this woman sees Jesus. She looks up. She's calling him Yahweh, which is the first name of God. She, she, she's recognizing that this is God standing in front of me. And I believe this woman is saying, like, this has to be God. She had a revelation right there of who Jesus was because who else could save me from this situation of condemnation I was in? Who, who else would fight on a, on a woman like me? Who else would fight on my behalf? Who else would rescue me out of what I have been experiencing internally and, and the sin that I have just committed? Who else would do that other than God? She has this moment, this revelation, and Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go on and live free from sin. Now, if, if you're like me, I'm wondering, okay, wait a second. Did Jesus, did he just basically like say, eh, you committed adultery? Ah, don't worry about it. It's all good. What, what, what happened? Is Jesus, is he like excusing her sin? Didn't Jesus know the law? The law actually said to stone an adulterer. It says this in Leviticus, like this is like real Bible that the Pharisees had brought up. Like what, what is happening? I actually think Jesus, he just knew, he knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to go to the cross and he was going to take the punishment for this woman's sin, but not only for her sin. He was actually going to take the, the, the price for her freedom. He was going to pay the price for her freedom and for her to experience her new identity as a daughter. Jesus gave her his sinless life and he took her sinful life. This is grace. This is the exchange. And he said, go on and be free from your life of sin. This is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 verse Eight in the TPT. I love this language. It says, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. This was a woman who was ungodly. So this was a woman who was lost, but he looked at her and said, I love you. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for your life. You are not disqualified because of what you have done. My voice qualifies you. What I say about you qualifies you. Verse 9, and there is still much more to say about his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of, your or because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. See, in this moment, 
the woman encountered Jesus declaring her righteous, giving her a brand new identity that she can now live from. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. The work of the cross gave that to her. You are righteous in my sight. And in that moment, she didn't just receive a new identity. The cycle of sin was broken in her life. Because when Jesus speaks, cycles break. When he opens his mouth, cycles begin to break. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter our brand new identity. We receive a brand new identity. Our new identity comes from encountering his presence. This woman encountered something that changed her. It wasn't a philosophical thought. It wasn't, it wasn't an idea. It, it, it wasn't like a, a something that she even decided to do. Jesus came to her and she had this moment with him and it changed everything in her life. Yeah. And I can imagine before she had that encounter with Jesus, I can imagine her walking up and listening to the voices of her accusers, telling her that she's just an adulterous woman. And sometimes we listen to the voices of the accuser, saying you're not smart enough to go to grad school, you'll never be enough, you're just a dumb athlete, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you are not the best for this internship, you're not worthy for this church, you're not the best leader, you'll never be good enough. It is not our job to listen to the voices, that do, to other people's voices that try to define our identity. It is not my job, as much as I honor people and love them, it is not my job to have my professor define me, or even my mom and my dad, or even my pastor. Our identity is when we encounter Jesus. That is who defines us. That's good. You better preach, Carol. <laughs> I want to I go back for a second to the religious leaders for a moment because they were in the same, they were, they, they literally, they were in the same environment. It was the same environment that this woman was in. What does that mean? That they had the same access that this woman had. They had the same access to transformation that this woman had. They had the same access to a brand new identity that this woman had. They had the same access to a future, to a destiny that this woman had. But there was something that kept them from that, that actually, you know, this woman didn't have, and she was able to tap into it. See, when you are, when you are holding stones, and I know this is a water bottle, but use your imagination. When you are holding stones... You don't have any capacity to receive the identity that Jesus is trying to give you. 
when you are focused on on what this other person is doing and 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 if you're doing it better than them and and, and if you have as much as them or if you're as smart as them you are actually cutting yourself off from the very things that Jesus wants to pour out in your life it's when you put down the stones when you focus in on 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 the savior and you just say hey Jesus I I want to know you. I want to encounter you. I know that you have a unique purpose and a destiny for me, and, and I, want, I want to tap into that. It is when you uh, uh, have a heart posture and, and a, like a heart to say that, that he comes. And when we put down the stones, we can do that. We can tap into that. Yes, that's right. And pride and pain is actually such a deceitful tool to get your mind away from who God really says you are. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. John 8:44 says, when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What kind of lies does he tell us? Well, number one, he tells us to doubt. He tells us to doubt God's goodness, God's purpose for your life, God's beauty, he tells you to doubt your strength, your ability. So when the lies come, we must renew our mind to what the truth God says we are. If you're struggling with the truth, we have an amazing tool called the Bible. And the Bible says who we really are. Psalms 139, 13 through 16, if you have it. Um, it says this, for you formed my innerward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You were not accidentally made. God didn't take a bunch of dices and say, oh, let's see what we can get. He didn't do that. <laughs> he actually had a plan for your life. And sometimes it's really hard for us to believe that we're enough. But it's Jesus' love that brings us to repentance. Is he who loved us first and laid his, down, his life down for us that brings, it, brings our identity. It's the encounter with God that shows us who we really are. I want to know this really quick. Has anybody in here ever struggled with feeling like they're enough? I know I have. Can you raise your hand? Okay. I would like to ask one brave young lady to come up here right now. <laughs> okay. He's, uh, all right. So, yeah, you're going to sit. I don't. You're going to be here for a second, okay? <laughs> so I really, I kind of want to demonstrate something to you guys. Um, just like the woman in the story, 
she felt unworthy, she felt shame, but she had this encounter with God, right? And um, what Jesus does is that he washes away all of our false beliefs about us. He comes in and, and tells us the truth. Um, in John, right before Jesus is about to go on the cross, he's having like a dinner with his disciples, with, you know, everybody's there. And in John 13, 8 through 10, he says this. He says, no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon said, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. But you disciples are clean, but not all of you. So Jesus, you already know this is about to happen, <laughs> is washing the feet of Peter and telling him how holy he is. <laughs> oh, wait. The towels. Oh, where are they? Oh. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> Mia, nice to meet you, Mia. Go ahead and put it. Hopefully it's warm. I'm sorry if it's cold. Hold on. Oh, it is cold. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, we'll get it out in a second. So what happens is the adulterous woman, right, steps into some things. And sometimes that's us. We step into some things that we shouldn't step into. But Jesus comes in and he washes the feet and speaks identity. Mia, I want to let you know that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are God's gift. You are amazing. And God loves you so much. And this is what God does for us. Thank you so much for letting me wash your feet. <laughs> You go, yeah. <laughs> Do you have another towel? I don't know if I brought those towels, Brandon. Oh. <laughs> Does anybody have another I towel? I want to. Okay, she's good. I want to invite you guys to go ahead and stand up. And I want to I wanna invite the worship team to come back up. So the, the team has a song, and then we're gonna we're gonna enter into some ministry time. But I I feel I feel like the Lord wants to do something um, personal tonight. I feel I feel like He wants to do something um, 
Yeah, I feel like he, he, wants to, he wants to release something very important and special tonight. I feel like there are folks here who, who maybe you've, you, you've recognized and you, you're, you're kind of like, man, I think that I have been allowing pride to shape my identity unknowingly. You know, it hasn't been an active thought, but I, I think that that has been... The, the, the thing driving my identity or maybe or maybe you're here tonight and and you're you're recognizing now like oh wait some of these things in my life that I could not let go of they're actually the result of deeper pain in my life that I have not found healing for I feel like the Lord is here and he wants to encounter you and there is going to be identity that is literally released tonight as you encounter the presence of the Lord as you encounter his presence in, in this uh, worship like that we're about to enter into and also in, in, in uh, ministry time, I believe he literally is going to say specific things to you. Like, you are not this, you are this. And it's going to mark you for the rest of your life. And you are never going to forget it. And you're going to, maybe you'll be on the floor, who knows. You're going you're gonna to get up different. So, Holy Spirit, I welcome your presence in this place. We say, come and have your way. Come and have your way. Father, I pray for an atmosphere of freedom. Well, we're not, we're not looking to the left. We're not looking to the right. We're just looking up tonight, Lord. We're just looking, uh, looking in your eyes and looking for your presence. So we say come. We say come. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. And we pray that this has helped stir and awaken you to live alive to God like never before. If you want to connect with us, let's go. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Alive Vineyard College.